Thank you so much, Patrick, and, and to Kathy Pilgrim for leading us in prayer. I just wish I could speak like that. West Virginia, we didn't grow up speaking this way. To begin this series, I want to take you to a sentence that has affected my life ever since I was in college. It was something spoken by a brother in Christ from 600 years ago, uh, Thomas Akempis, in his Imitation of Christ, said to us, it is vanity to wish to live long and then to fail to live well. It is vanity to wish to live long and then to fail to live well. We're going to be thinking about that over the next six or seven weeks, to living well in the eyes of God. This weekend is a great weekend to begin. It is, as we've been hearing, quite a weekend at Lake Avenue Church. This is Sanctity of Human Life weekend. And I think for the past, oh, what would it be, 39 years or so, churches around the United States especially, um, have set aside one Sunday, excuse me, have set aside one Sunday um, each January to stop and think about the value of each and every human life. Uh, usually we think either about the beginnings of life, life in the womb, or at the very ends of life, where sometimes life isn't uh, respected. It goes back to 1973, where the Roe v. Wade decision was made, the decision was made that legalized abortion here in our own country. And we as a church want to gather and think about that every human life it has a great, great value. And, and we also want to come alongside of people who are alive now and uh, especially mothers who sometimes wrestle with this decision where, where there economic difficulties or challenges of pregnancy happens. Sometimes the mother wonders, how on earth will I ever be able to care for this child? And we want to make sure that we as a church family come alongside and walk together with people so that those lives can be born and human life can flourish. And we, we partner with wonderful partners like the Living Well Ministry. And today we're going to be having a table in the lobby, and i just love to have you go back and talk with them and join them in work and join them in prayer. So this is Sanctity of Human Life Weekend. And it's also Martin Luther King uh, Weekend, uh, which is, as uh, Pastor Jeff said to us, uh, another one of those weekends in which we think about the value of each and every human life. It's a weekend when we as a nation take time to remember, among many other things, that dream that one day we might live in a nation in which our children are not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And I, I pray that uh, we who might have eyes to see in that sort of way. And I, so I know that, that we know that when we look at the portrayal of human life, that we find revealed in God's Word, how consistent it is with both of these days. That, do you see that? Now, now, some of you may not know that Martin Luther King weekend has a special significance for us here in Pasadena. Uh, Pasadena, after all, is the uh, home of Jackie Robinson, who uh, forged openings for people of all colors uh, to be able to play professional sports here in our country, especially baseball. Uh, Pasadena is also the place uh, where Reverend John Perkins has been involved in doing so much of his groundbreaking work and opening up opportunities for people of all socioeconomic and all ethnic uh, backgrounds. Uh, and he does it, of course, 
because he believes that that's a part of the implication of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and the way that we see people. And, and we've been very involved as a church and many of you in the work of John Perkins in our community. And also something that those who are newer to our community may not know and that I didn't know is that Pasadena is one of the places where a federal court decision, one of the earliest places where a federal court decision was made that forced a desegregation of the schools here in Pasadena. Uh, a decision which continues to have a huge impact upon our community and especially upon our public schools. Now, when you think about all those historic factors in this community where God has put us, and then you look at Pasadena today, which has become one of the most nationally and ethnically diverse communities in the entire world, then you, you can tell that we here at Lake Avenue Church have an opportunity to declare to this world in this community something about the glory of God. And what I mean about the glory of God, that the church is the place where God reveals what He is like, what, through His glory we reflect, we mirror something of what He's like. And a part of that, according to the book of Ephesians, is that God has always existed as three persons, but one God. Three persons, but one God. So a plurality with a unity. And the church is able to reflect something about that when we, as a very diverse people, demonstrate a unity to our world, a unity that comes in Christ. So in a church, when we gather together as very different kinds of people and declare that we are one family in Christ, well, the world looks at that, and as Jesus said, if they see a real love among one another, they will know that the Father sent Jesus they will know that we are genuinely his followers. John chapter 13 talks about that. So in my message today, I want us to begin again by looking at how God declares what human life is all about from the very beginning. The view of human life that we find in the Bible is the highest view of human life that you can find in any ideology, any philosophy, any religion, from its very opening chapter, Genesis chapter 1, God declares to us that there is something sacred about a human life. Now, I'm beginning this new series, and I'm calling it Don't Waste Your Life. And for those of you who read Christian books, yes, I just shamelessly stole that title from John Piper's book that many of us have read and has directed many of our lives. And if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to do so especially the first three or four chapters. They're just passionate, as John Piper so often is. So I recommend it to you throughout this series. But uh, a long time ago, our ministry council and I, our spiritual leadership and I, began thinking about the fact that all that we are and all that we have, that we are stewards of what God has made. And that all that we are and have, though it's temporary in this material world, can be invested for things that really matter for eternal things. And so the ministry council asked me to talk about this just a bit because I do believe that what Thomas Akempis said is true. It's disingenuous for us to gather here and talk about how every human life has something sacred about it and then to waste the very lives that God gives to us. Do you, do you see that? And so as I think about the coming weeks, I've summarized what I want us to take home with us in this way. That I believe that a life that really counts is a life in which each moment we live, each gift we have been given, 
Each resource God has entrusted to us is intentionally invested in God's mission and used to bring God glory. I don't even think it's coincidental, Patrick, that God brought you here today because I think the work that he's given you to do helps us to see what that mission is and how we might be involved in it. Now, I know that a sentence like that might sound overly pious to some and impractical to some, but let me tell you that if we can grab hold of this, it will energize all of our lives. Now, it's always for me a bit challenging to know how to start a new series, but I want to just say this in my first message about this don't waste your life, that I believe that God has made us in such a way that you and I thrive, or you know what the the Hebrew word for that was. We, we experience shalom, which is more than just peace. It's a life of flourishing. That you and I thrive and we really live when we live as stewards of all that God has given and that we steward that in such a way to further His glory, to further His mission in this world. You, you know what a steward is, right? A steward is usually one who has been given a task something that has to be done by the boss or by the Lord or by the master. Now, sometimes somebody will tell you that you've got to do something and they don't give you the resources to do it. <laughs> so then you get frustrated. But when um, the master gives you the resources you need to do the work and then you and I take that up and as faithful stewards commit ourselves to it, then I'll tell you there is joy for all. And in the Bible, God tells us that he gives us all that we need and he places us here as stewards with all sorts of gifts and opportunities. And when we faithfully use what God has given us, then our lives thrive and God has brought glory and joy is known and people are drawn to him. So let's start by asking this question. Why do I think that's true? Why do I think it's true that you and I experience shalom when we live every moment of our lives as faithful stewards of what God has given us? And I'm going to just give you the simple answer as much as I can understand it. Just simply this, that you and I are made in the image of God. Uh, just a moment again. <clears throat> oh, yeah, I was hoping you'd turn that down. But maybe that helps wake you up just a moment. You and I are made in the image of God. And when we are introduced to God in Genesis 1 and 2, what we see is that God is creating. He's ordering things, making them beautiful. God is being productive. Uh, if you have your Bible, I want to show you something that should shock you, but I'm sure it's not going to. But I'm going to try to do it anyway. Chapter 2, verse 2 of Genesis. Here it is. By the seventh day... God finished the work that he had been doing. Hmm. Boy, no shock at all. Any shock up there in the balcony? I'm just wondering. Not only does it tell us that God finished the work he had been doing, but if you look back to the earlier part, he enjoyed that work. When he was done with it, he looked at it and said, that's good. That's, that's, that's very good. Now that not be, might not be shocking to us because we've read it so many times. But I'm telling you, in the ancient world, that notion that God worked and found joy in his work, that was radical. 
Because gods in ancient religions didn't work. Work was beneath their pay grade. <laughs> Both Eastern religions and Western religions. In Eastern religions, you had uh, Babylonian religions, uh, such as the myth uh, of how the world came into being from the Babylonians, the Enuma Elish. And many people say it's just like the book of Genesis, but I'll tell you, you read it and you'll see that there are, it is not. I'll just, there is a, a male god named Marduk who is being challenged by a feminine god named Tiamat. And so he goes to combat with her and he destroys her and he slits her corpse in half. Now, I know it's a PG-13 sermon already, but, but as he does out of that corpse, he creates the heavens and the earth. But then the other gods look at this, they begin to complain because when you have a material heaven and earth, somebody has to take care of this thing. Somebody's going to have to maintain it. And none of the gods felt that they, that was beneath them. So at first, Marduk made all the ones who had sided with Tiamat do that work. And they complained endlessly. So he created these primitive and inferior beings to care for the world. Us. You see, the whole view of our lives being productive and, 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 and creating, making things, it was just viewed as bad, Eastern religions. In a Western religion, uh, like um, the Greek religions, uh, the Greek god Zeus, you, you know this story, uh, gave to Pandora a jar. I know we call it a box, but I, I think it was a jar. Gave to her a jar and told her not to open it. But just as you and I would do, she did, right? And so when the jar was opened, all of the evils of the world came out. What evils? Like disease and decay and pain and death and work. <laughs> work was in Pandora's jar. Do you see that this, this notion that, that we can be productive and creative and that God works, that flew in the face of, the, of cultural understandings. What the Bible reveals about God is completely different from what you find in other places, that he creates things, that he maintains things. And then when you come to chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, and then on the verse 15, God plants a garden. He plants a garden. The God that we believe in gets dirt under his fingernails. He, he dignifies work. And you go on to read, he, he makes food. I'm sure it's great food. Maybe even better than what we're going to have this afternoon. And he creates sexuality and he creates so many wonderful things. Do you see the point? The point is that being productive and stewarding things, having things that matter and working for that is a great value according to the Bible. That when we're introduced to God, we're not introduced to him first as a tyrant or a military leader, or a hedonist just out to get personal pleasure, but as a farmer. And then when Jesus comes, the Son of God comes into this world, He comes as a carpenter. The, the God we believe in likes to make things. And He likes to make them good, and He likes to order them, and He likes to make them beautiful. And He makes us in His image. So that the things that we do, when, when they're focused in the right way, can be deeply, deeply satisfying. Like writing music and building homes and getting rid of weeds. 
and creating sermons that maybe some people will actually listen to and caring for our families. I, I just love the way that Pastor Tim Keller puts it. Let us remember the God with dirt under his fingernails who dignifies all work and then remember that we are made in his image. Which brings me to my second question. That part's clear, right? Do you see why it is that when our lives actually count and we're productive that we feel most alive? Do some of you who have retired, do you see why it is that when you've retired you think, hey, now I'm going to really live and then you don't have anything to do and it's not really living? Read John Piper's books. What am I going to do? I'm going to go out to the beach and pick up shells. And then at the end of life, God comes to and says, uh, what did you do with your life? Oh, I picked up these beautiful shells. Don't you like them? God says, there's much more I've made you for than that. So I want you to see why it is that you and I are really alive when we see our lives count in this world. Now, second, I want to ask a question. How do we actually find that shalom? Uh, in the stewarding work that God gives to us. And there in chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man, made in his image, put him in the Garden of Eden, and he told him to work and care for it. Now here I want to stop for a moment because I know full well that much of the work that you and I do is not all that exciting to us. Well, anybody... Last night I had people wave and say, yes, it's true. We're a much more subdued group at nine, I think. Sometimes those things that we feel like we have to do right now become a drudgery to us. I think about that little children's book, Three Men in a Boat, you know, where one of the characters says, I like work. Work fascinates me. Why, I could just sit and look at it for days. I always, always like that. And I think many of us feel that way. And I, I've asked myself why, if God made us to be productive, why it is that so much of what we do can just zap the life out of us. I think there are many reasons. Sometimes in the fallen world that we are in, slavery is set in of all sorts where it's forced rather than something that we seek God about. I think sometimes it may also be that instead of us working to further God's kingdom, the things that we do, we just do for ourselves, just to, for our own material benefit. I'm sure there's something in that. But the question that I have is, when we look and see that this is what God has made us for, how can our stewardship uh, bring us joy again? And I began thinking about a sermon that I heard years ago by an old West Virginia preacher and now I've heard several people must have stolen his points or he stole them from somebody else. But they've been really helpful to me and I'm going to pass them on to you. How to make what God has called us to do, wherever we are, whatever opportunities we have, how do we make that shalom? Number one, uh, look in. Number two, look out. Number three, look up. Can you remember that? Okay, look in at all that God has given you. The, the gifts, the talents, the interests, the passions, the opportunities, look in at what God has given you. And then we look back at what God is like and we wonder how can what he has given me or made me to be reflect some of that. So that we see in the book of Genesis, what do we see about God? We see that he is a creator. He, he likes things to become different when he begins working. You see that in the very beginning, don't you? 
Now, now God creates in ways different from us. God created ex nihilo. <laughs> he created out of nothing. And the word that's used for creation in Genesis 1 is not used for human beings ever. But, so much of what God does is said to be something that we do. Words like to form, uh, to make, uh, to do. Uh, human beings, we can do all of those things. So, how do we look at that? J.R.R. Tolkien, of the Lord of the Rings fame, he once said <clears throat> in reading Genesis 1 and 2, I think of myself as a sub-creator. Oh, I like that. So we take what God has made, and then because we're made in God's image, we can look at that and say, how can I reshape or refashion that so that the world that I am in will be a better place than when I first came into it? So we can take something that is there and make something relatively new about it. Musicians, you do this all the time. It's one of the reasons I love jazz music. That constant creation that's happening. Almost every moment as they are, are playing within the confines of what's there, within so much of what is created, the constant making of these things. That's something that a poet can understand. But there are many other ways that you and I can step into a setting and say, if I do this, this place will have more joy. This place will look different. See, it's that perspective. God is a creator God who makes beautiful things. And we can step into a situation and things can be different when we are there. The second thing we see about God that we look inside is that God is one who takes what he makes and then orders it and makes it beautiful. You know, early on in chapter 1, the, the world was without form. It was chaos. And then the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep and God started doing a work, taking what was, bringing it together, making something beautiful out of it. And all of us can do that. I, I just thought about the many ways we can do that. I, I thought about the people I had the privilege of working with here at Lake Avenue Church. You know we have a wonderful custodial staff that's here. I love these people. They work to the glory of God. So you and I come here on a Sunday and we mess this place up. It isn't as nice as when we walk in. And then they come in and, and take this image of God gift of taking something that's become a bit chaotic and making it clean and nice again so that we can come back in again. Do you see that? If you see it, you, there's joy in that. I, I love our security team here. You know, Pasadena, I love Pasadena, but we're not heaven yet, are we? So we do have a little bit of crime in this place. And yet we have this wonderful security team that is so conscientious. And they, and they work hard and are always alert and watching so that this place where we come can be as much as, in, as is possible in this world, a safe place and worship in, the, in, in great, great joy. And all of you who are here, the jobs that you're in, uh, attorneys, uh, judges, uh, lawyers, even people who do jury duty, you can go into a situation and take what is an absolute legal mess and work in that situation to bring something that brings about some justice and, and compassion. And when you do that, you're exercising a bit of that image of God, uh, stewardship that God gives us the opportunity to do. Mothers, see I get excited about this. Mothers, when you th see your two children fighting with one another, which never happened in the pastor's family. But anyway, um, and you step into that situation. 
and, and, and you exercise experience and sometimes authority to bring about peace, making it a better place. You're exercising some of that image of God, stewardship that I'm talking about. There are so many ways to do that. So we look at and see what God, he's creative, he's a God of order and beauty. We then look and say, where do, where do I have the opportunity to do that we're looking in? Oh, another thing we see about God is that he is a ruler, sovereign over all things. And I love it in Genesis 1:26 and following, when he makes us, he says, and now I'm going to give you the opportunity to rule as well. So that when we have been given authority in a situation, as a parent, as a teacher, whatever it may be, and, and we use that to bring beauty and goodness and joy to this world. Uh, we're exercising this image of God's stewardship. Now, business folks, when you use the authority that you've been given to make the workplace a place where the people who work for you can flourish, they know they're cared about in that place. I tell you, that's what is happening here. There are so many ways that this can be applied. Uh, a hairstylist, I thought about this one, who uses his or her gifts to take a mess and make something beautiful out of it. Do you see that? Bringing joy both to the person and probably to the spouse as well. I thought a, a plumber who comes into the senior pastor's house and the senior pastor is so bad at this stuff and the more I work, the worse it gets to be. And so I'm so frustrated. A plumber comes in and takes that mess in the toilet and, and, and makes it something that, that is cleaned up and functioning again. If you can see that as a gift that God has given us, it energizes that work. A teacher who equips students to grow and reach their potential is exercising a gift of God's stewardship. So I, I just urge us to look in, see what interests and gifts that we've had and see how that we might use them to reflect the glory of God. Or we look in, we look out at what the world needs. If you look at chapter 2, verse 15, we've been given the opportunities that we have, not just to work it, but to care for it. See, but to care for it. Because the point is, if we only engage in step one, and we look inside and say, what are my interests? Then we often become self-centered. And the gifts God gives us really take on meaning when they are used to bring benefit and blessing to the world. I'll give you this opportunity, I'll give you this gift to take care of this world. So that when we use our gifts and then we look out and see what are the needs that we have in our community and in our world. Where are the places where the people in my family and my community are really hurting? And we use whatever God has given us to look out and to meet those needs. We are doing what God did. The Bible makes it so clear that being his stewards means we keep our eyes open to care for the needs of people and the needs of the world that he has put us in. We are to be productive in ways that make a positive difference in this world that God has made. When we use them only for our own self-fulfillment, they become empty. How do we do that? Well, one of the most obvious ways is that we can work and make money and then give it away to things that make a difference in the world. And so many of you do this. Jeff, you gave testimony that, to that today. But it's not just that way. It's also using the gifts to serve that God has given to us. I mean, all of you who have taught children or students 
in our program here and given of your life, you know the shalom that that brings to your life. That you and I get more out of it than the ones that we mentor almost surely. Uh, those of us know that when we go in and work with our foundation and, and mentor people in the STARS program and actually give of our time there, that even though we pray that we bring blessing to others, we ourselves sense the joy of God because we have been made for stewardship. Those of us who not only play musical instruments because we love it, but we really do it to the glory of God and, and pray that God would use those gifts to lead us to praise Him. That it's more than just me. That, then it brings great, great joy to others and to our world. And I'll tell you, on the sanctity of human life weekend, I've just thought about it this way. We have all around us here in Pasadena so many teenagers who become pregnant. Sometimes it's their own poor choices. Sometimes there's so many factors. But so many times our lives cross those lives and we have them in our Teen Mops program. Just wonderful, beautiful people who wonder how they're going to care for children. And, and then they come and say something like this, I don't know how I would ever be able to care for my child. And then we look at this message and then we come and, and, and here's what I wrote down. I think we need to think something like this. Well, I, I'm not quite sure either how you will, but I know this, that your child is of infinite value, just as you are. And I know that God calls us always to look out and see how our lives can be used to care for others just as God cares for us. So, I'm ready to walk with you. Uh, God will be with you when you do what is right, but you need to know I will be with you too. So let's go with him together and see what he will do. See, I'm, I'm just telling you, when you and I just always are thinking like that, our lives will not be boring. And we will experience the shalom of God. And, and I need to add this. That service doesn't have to be paid. In fact, sometimes being paid takes away some of the great joy. Because we are made for stewardship. Even when Jesus came. Do you remember what he said to his followers? He says, uh, those who have authority in this world lord it over people for their own benefit. Not so with you. For even the Son of Man, referring to himself, came not to be served, but to serve. And that means to give his life as a ransom for the many. So we look in, we look out, and then just a brief word, we look up. Uh, to, to, to figure out how our callings and the opportunities we have in life will bring glory to God, we look up and ask God, what would you have me to do? See, up until this point, just look in and look out. Any self-help book down at the local bookstore could tell you that. But we know that just trying to make a positive difference in this world with our own energy is not going to bring about eternal things. Now, it's better if people who don't believe in God at least try to bring some benefit to the world. But the difference that makes it for us is that we do it to the glory of God and in the power of Christ. We, we know that what good stewardship is, is using what doesn't last very long to bring about something that lasts longer. 
And that means when you and I are made alive to eternal things, we can be the ultimate stewards, right? We can use uh, time. And my time goes by so fast I can't believe I'm as old as I am. But it doesn't last forever. But that time that seems to run away can be used. The talents that we have and the material resources that we have can be used for eternal benefit. To call people to know Christ and to show people the love and the justice of Christ. We had a plaque up in my house in West Virginia after my father came to faith in Jesus. And maybe some of you have seen it. It said, um, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. See, this is a wholly different way to look at life than the world tells us. The world tells us just live for yourself and that's how you're going to have meaning. And God says, no, 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 no. Come to me. Live in keeping with the God that I reveal myself to be, which means looking out to bring blessing to the world, looking up to ask me, how might I use this? And that's when you will experience the shalom of God. It means us praying. Lord, all of this that I'm holding on to, it's all yours. I'm just a steward of it. In fact, all that I am, Lord, it's, I'm all yours. So wherever you would have me to go, whatever you have me to do, I am yours, O Lord. And when you and I think and pray that way, we will bring glory to God. And we will experience His shalom. Time is gone. So let me just tell you this morning in this first message I want to do, what I want you to do in the light of this message. I'm going to follow my old preacher's outline to look in. I want you to begin by doing a self-assessment. What is it that God has given to you these days? I don't want you to think in first rank upon what you don't have. In other words, so many times we come to this and say, well, if the preacher had preached that 20 years ago, back then I could do a whole lot more. Now I've gotten to be... No, I don't want to think about what you don't have. You're here today. So you must have life. At least most of you, I think you really do. God has given you much. You might think, I can't do all that I used to do when I was a business owner or when, you know, when I was more, more mobile or whatever. But maybe now you have more time. That's something. A time at least to pray. Time to write people. Uh, Time to mentor people when you might not have been able to do it earlier. Stop and do an assessment. What have you been given? What do you still have? And acknowledge that that comes from the Lord. Then look out. Look at the world around you. This afternoon at lunch you can find out so much of what's happening in this world around us. How can what has been entrusted to you today be used to bring blessing and care to this world that God has placed us in. It might be a life of evangelism, of church planting. It might be a life of community service. It might be a life of prayer. Look in, look out, and then look up to God. Again, recognize that if you're going through tough times, as so many of us here are financially, that that is not outside of His control. I was talking with my sister yesterday who just lost her job this weekend 
we were talking about, does that give her an opportunity to give witness to Christ on the unemployment line? She wouldn't have been there before, that's for sure. Easy for me to say, unless after the service today I don't have a job either. I, I don't know. But I, let's just think about what we find in the Bible. The Apostle Paul wanted to go to Rome as a preacher. He went there as a prisoner. He could have been grousing about that. Oh, if only I could have been here as a preacher, I could have done something. But do you realize the, the opportunities God gave him in the prison perhaps have brought kingdom blessing far greater than anything he might have done out preaching? So much of our New Testament we wouldn't even have had if he hadn't been in prison. Do you see that? It must have been hard for him to have seen it in the prison. We see it. God saw it. But, but he had this perspective, wherever I am, I will live to the glory of God. Think about Jesus on the cross, praying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup be taken from me, this cup of my death on that excruciating cross, bearing the sins of the world, if it's possible, take it from me. But your will, Father, not mine. And you know on that cross, the greatest act of stewardship that brings eternal blessing happened. It was on that cross that the opportunity for you and me to come to God was made possible. Hallelujah. And I'm just convinced that the same thing is true of you and me. That the situations that you and I are in right now are not coincidental to God. And that what he asks us to do is to view every situation and every opportunity as something that is a gift to us and then to intentionally use that to further his gospel and to make known his glory. I'll end with my dream. It's Martin Luther King weekend, so I have a dream too. I won't tell you the whole dream. We'd be here all day. But I have a dream for Lake Avenue Church. I have a dream that Lake Avenue Church will more and more and more become a place in which all the children who ever come into this church community will be judged not by the color of their skin, not by the amount of money that their families have, but by the content of their character will be judged in ways consistent with the way that God views people. And I have a dream that every one of us here at Lake Avenue Church will develop the eyes of God, that we will see every individual life as sacred. Uh, whether that life is still in the womb or whether that life is 103 years old, that every life has infinite value, even that person that we work alongside of who gets on our nerves is a person so valuable. They're made in God's image. They're people for whom Christ died. And some are already members of our family, brothers and sisters in Christ. But those who aren't are potential members of the family of God. Potential recipients of the salvation of Christ. I have that dream that we'll see people that way. And I have a dream that all of us will not only thank God, 
when we have the opportunity to live long. But we will make a commitment every day to live well. And that means a commitment to living every moment to the glory of God. May it happen to his glory. Amen. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer.